Okay, well, let's get to it. Uh, for those of you just tuning in, this is Fifth Wave Radio Queerly Drinking. I am DJ Pamela Louie, and I am so uh, honored to be joined on uh, this conversation today by Sherelle Jackson, who is a candidate for supervisor in District 6. So welcome to the show. Yes, thank you. Oh, wait, Hi. I can hear you. Let's see. Oh, wait, whoa, whoa. let's try it again. Yes, hello. Glad to be here. Thank you so much. Oh, great. Thank you so much for taking the time. I know that this is your like heading home into the home stretch of the campaign. So I appreciate you your your being with here with us today. And Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So uh you have done so much. Uh I'm just looking at uh, like everything that you've done. And I so I feel like instead of me reading off the list, let's just start this off. Why can why don't you tell our listeners about you, about your um experience? And yeah, let's just start with that because I'm sure there's a lot to discuss about you. Sure. So good afternoon. My name is Cheryl Jackson and I'm running for Board of Supervisor District 6. Um, I'm committed and dedicated uh, to public service and I continue to serve marginalized and underserved communities. You know, some of us were called to step forward uh, and that is me and I continue to serve our seniors, uh, veterans, uh, individuals experiencing disabilities. Um, and I continue to, you know, continue to step forward and lead um, our, most, our most vulnerable communities. Uh, and that includes um, our are um, those that are in District 6 right now uh, that need access to resources and continuing to be a voice, to uplift their voices and to ensure that someone is there looking out for their best interests. Um, I've bring an ample amount of experience, a uh, member of SEIU 10 to 1, workers with laborers' rights. Um, I've served as second secretary of COPE, which is the Committee on Political Education, uh, AFRAM. Um, I'm the co-chair of workers with disabilities, a uh, member of women's committee, AFRAM LGBTQ Lavender community, I have my master's degree in political science, public policy, and public administration. Um, I was the uh, Madam President of Black Voices and Allies Leadership Committee, where I took a cohort of individuals fighting for social injustice. Uh, of course, with everything that has been going on, it's an ample amount of uh, importance to continue to support those. I've been supporting small businesses, uh, ensuring that we uh, continue to lead in that regard, uh, supporting an organization called Ladies of Grace that help women uh, from under serve communities, get the resources they need, building up their resumes and these sorts of things. Um, I have been working with our BIPOC and LGBT communities, um, and I'm in California Assembly District 17 ADEM as well. Um, I've served as the Director of Communications on Justice and Equity and Inclusion for the JEDI Committee, Vice Chair of Communications for Veterans Caucus, um, and the Program Chair of the Veterans Caucus. In the tech world, uh, I have built a uh, uh, an app called MAUV, M-A-U-V-E, uh, an owner of a small business project called Platinum Rose, the author of 12 Sources of Income, uh, executive producer of uh, Rosemilk Podcast and executive chief editor for Rosemilk Magazine, uh, really to dive in to help amplify the voices of women in politics, education, science, business, and technology. Uh, and speaking of education, uh, I have also uh, been an educator teaching uh, very diverse uh, and underserved communities as well as uh, more affluent. And so I think that that gives me a, a very good rhetoric and a, a, a sense of understanding of uh, the different uh, when there's an under-resourced school and a, a school that has properly allocated the funds they need in order to get things done and operate appropriately. And so I continue to 
serve um, teaching history, physics, English, art. Uh, I've been teaching youth some writing and also doing a lot of volunteer work in that regard. And so I just come with a very diverse and uh, background. Uh, I've been seen on Jet Set Magazine uh, uh, as a uh, top five, top 10 and top uh, ten, uh, excuse me, top 10, top five, and top 15. Uh, and then for the International Association of uh, Women there, uh, the influencer for 2020 and 2021. Uh, and so I just come with an ample amount of experience and a, a lot of hard work uh, to ensure that uh, women and uh, not just women, but a diverse amount of communities are represented uh, in the work that I do uh, across the board. And so I'm ready to run and hit the ground running uh, to support uh, District 6 uh, and uplift communities. I think that that's uh, what folks want to see. And I'll continue to be that person in that seat. Wow. I don't even know where to start. There's so much <laughs> there. So thank you. Uh, okay. Well, let let's Let's start here because I'm just you know thinking about a few things that you mentioned and so you say you're an educator. Where where do you teach right now? And what's the what's the population that you're teaching to? So right now during the election, I've been spending a substantial amount of time uh, throughout uh, multiple schools actually. Um, and when I can, of, of course, uh, with the busy schedule, it does uh, take a lot uh, from you. So you have to do uh, you know partial time of that. Um, and and it, it, it goes anywhere throughout the Bay Area, uh, and including some of some of the uh, most substantial uh, affluent schools. And it comes to also some very under-resourced schools. And so I'm hoping to look forward and, and move forward uh, to, you know, make sure that these schools are supported. And I know hands on. Uh, what kind of resources they'll need. It, it means increasing teacher wages. It means uh, ensuring that uh, folks from the administrative level have the resources they need and that they're uplifted day in and day out to get those resources and making sure that community liaisons and, and those folks that are ready to support academically have the resources they need to be uh, affluent as well. So uh, this is about getting that done and, and, and continuing to be a very supportive advocator on, on their behalf. So, you know, San Francisco, uh, you know, our with the school board we had earlier this year, there were several school board members were recalled and, and also there have been sort of changes on policies or at least ideas. And it seems like there are, it, it just seems like San, right now our educational system, which is true of m many other parts of the country, is not really, it's not really doing our kids justice. Okay, I mean, you probably, saw uh, you know some of the reports that have come out over the last couple of days about how nationally kids are real like scores in math are really down from where they were a few years ago and you know we had a pandemic so I think you know some of this is is to be expected but it's it seems like it's even worse than it was so it's yeah. like just kind of bringing this into the context of San Francisco and one thing that's that I one of the issues and I think that people will, will say that maybe this should not be a prior an issue that is prioritized is like the idea of murals and murals that have uh, images of of basically you know what can be perceived as white supremacy you know what whatever people have their different take on it but there are issues that can there are, are images of of certain historical figures that are you know can definitely be triggering to students of color uh, I'm not asking you where you where you stand on that but I do think that what I do think that is that are we prioritizing right now like do you really feel like the current school board and where things are right now is that do you think they really have their priorities straight and i know you're not running for school board 
but as being someone who's in the city and like, I mean, what's your take on this? Because like, I'm just, I may almost ask that for my own curiosity. I don't have kids, so I'm not as deeply entrenched in it, but I do have friends who are teachers and I can't say there's anyone I know who's super optimistic. So I was just wondering as someone who is an educator and who does, te- goes around and, and, and is teaching, what your take is on that. Yeah, so I think I think this speaks to ensuring that we're collectively working together. There's a lot of different opinions as far as what they want to construct and what they want to do uh, for the school district. What it comes down to and what my will always stand uh, for uh, is ensuring that we increase the wages of teachers and administrators to ensure that they are paid fair wages doing this work. I think that that's going to be number one. Number two is about investing in infrastructure because the wear and tear of the schools in, in general need to be rebuilt uh, and provide the resources for infrastructure. And then let's go inside. As far as the classroom settings, we've got to invest in making sure that the uh, students have the right kind of programs in place. Yes, we did come out of a pandemic, which, yes, it did uh, sort of uh, you can see that within the the progression of students and the way that they're comprehending information and the way that they're, you know, they, it's a traumatizing thing to go through as a youth uh, to have gone through a pandemic where all of a sudden the world has changed around you and the way that things are going and how things were conducted. But what we can do going forward is ensuring that we invest the right way, making sure that people are represented, ensuring that the curriculum is there and the programs are there and that we're investing and making sure that they're mindfulness programs and things of that nature that deal and address with trauma. Uh, And also we have to make sure that our meal programs uh, are efficient making sure that people are getting healthy meals inside the school. And I, and I think that we'll continue to see those resources get directed and allocated in that regard, especially over the summer when they're not in school and they still have those kind of uh, issues where they don't have, uh, you know, healthy meals coming in. They've got to make sure that uh, that those resources are still coming in. And so I want to see that happen. Um, but I think what we're looking at right now, uh, as far as the school board, there are some uh, individuals who are going to step up. And I think that they'll represent well, you know, and I wish them the best on their campaigns. I think that uh, their perspectives, uh, I think they'll be, you know, willing and open-minded uh, to working with the board of supervisors uh, in regards to making some serious decisions about how we invest in this district, how we invest in the education and the future of students. And that's what we got to do. We got to continue to make sure that we're representing in the right way uh, and, and getting someone that's going to do right by them. Right. Um, and so uh, this is this this is where I stand on that. And 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 for sure, we have to uh, continue to to support whoever gets in there uh, and work collectively to make sure that we still get the resources where they need to go. And that's making sure that students are benefited uh, and that their futures are taken care of as far as whatever they decide to do for their future, that it's invested and that there was ample resources for them to get to where they're going. Great, thank you. So one thing that I've noticed, so like and I said, you have a very impressive resume and, and um, I know I, I, to me, I look at this, especially like having a master's of political science, I have, have a, a lot of re- respect for that. I'm wondering though, have, have you actually ever like run for office before? Or sir? This is my, this is my first time running for office. Okay. And um, and so, you know, I'm the first one in my family to have ever ran. Um, I think that they don't even understand the, the gravity of what I'm doing. I think that they are still kind of in surreal mode. Um, but 
you know, it's about making sure you, you step up and step forward when you see that there needs to be someone in a leadership position and in a leadership role that can really do right by the people, really get in there and make some good decisions that ensure people are supported again. This is about recentering our focus, investing uh, in, in folks. And, and we, we haven't even touched on topics such as our, the homeless conditions and the safe uh, conditions in which our small businesses need resources allocated towards them. And, you know, making sure that people who want to start small businesses are feel supported. And I want to make sure that all those things get done uh, in, in a way that uh, policy begins to represent people in the work that they're trying to do. Because once we invest in people, that brings an economic vibrance and thriving holistically. Uh, all together, we're all working collectively to bring a, a beautiful city together. Uh, and this means making sure that we're investing in people to get that done. Okay, so how, but what are some of your specific ideas, though, about how we can invest in people? Absolutely. So uh, some of the things that I'd like to start doing is making sure that we have workforce development programs for those that are in underserved and disadvantaged uh, situations. So, for example, they may be already receiving their benefit programs through the allocated funds that you get from, um, you know, HSA uh, and et cetera. And I would like to see a program, training program, uh, and work closely with our, you know, our workforce development programs and our uh, making sure that we're working with different in, uh, industries throughout the city to ensure that when, you know, as they're receiving their benefit programs, they also have these other options to sort of pivot if they if they so choose and if they're able to uh, and get into some training programs that help build their skills so they become eligible for these roles. Because what's happening in the city of San Francisco is you've got all these different companies, all these different industries throughout the city. And uh, what ends up happening is a lot of individuals who come to the city, um, it, you know, or um, or they outsource those roles uh, to other people throughout the country. And it doesn't go to individuals who are right now in this district. And so we have to start supporting people and getting them on their feet uh, and making sure they're well invested with the kind of training and programs they need so that they're eligible for the roles so they can get hired in these roles if that's what they want to do with their future. And if there's anything else that we can do, we can make sure that we invest in uh, making sure if that if they want to go in to the direction that they want to own a business and that make sure those programs and those workshop programs are available as well. And so I've talked with this with uh, SF Marin Food Bank, and I have put it up in a place to plan and the kind of training programs that I'm willing to do and work with people to get done. And I think it's collectively working with the industries that are out here in this district, investing in people and making sure they have the training and programs available, and then getting them hired into these roles. So there's this easy transition of getting people uplifted out of poverty, because people don't want to stay poor. They want to make sure that they have the resources that they need to get back on their feet. We can get this done in this city and in this district. And I think collectively working with the Board of Supervisors, working with these different industries and coalitions of groups, we can get these programs off the ground and get them into uh, the industries such as our nonprofits and private sectors and also in our uh, public sector and ensuring that we get those programs. Uh, and, and by the way, I haven't even got on that, but I think that there's also needs to be some investment in our, in our uh, programs that are serving these communities, that are serving our mental health and our 
are underserved and marginalized communities, the ones that are dealing with homelessness, dealing with the mental um, mental health and substance abuse, the workers there. We've got to invest in making sure the wages are working wages. They no longer need to be paid paycheck to paycheck and end up in 20 years out on the streets or you know not having enough money to retire on because of the kinds of conditions that they are you know serving the very community that they're trying to help uplift and support and oftentimes are left uh, to fend for themselves. And so I want to see investment there. I think return on investment will see that the city gets uplifted and turns it around for the good. So we move forward into the next couple of fiscal years with a very strong workforce, with a very strong economy, and we'll move forward and make sure this, uh, this district and this city is better off uh, than it was before. So, but with, you know, the forecast that we're heading for a recession, if we're not already on the road there, how do you think, you know, let's, let's say that is going to happen. How do you think San Francisco can you know, have this, this investment and, re- and really try to, you know, buck the tide of what is, you know, a lot of people think is likely to happen in the rest of the country. San Francisco was not as, as, impacted let's say in 2008 in some regards i mean i say this is somebody who actually lost a business in 2008 uh but i think in other ways it was and i think one a really big problem in 2008 is that nothing was done to help small business and that's nationally and that's in the city i think that what you know what we en- ended up coming out of that was all these tax breaks to the tech companies that came in and as far as and i'm concerned like really destabilized the economy and made it a, a place where if you are middle class or lower income, it became in a very difficult or impossible place to live. So let's say we're going to have there's something coming down the you know down the road that may not be what it was in 2008, but there's something that's coming down. How can San Francisco actually respond to that and even be proactive in a way so that it actually is it, it doesn't just continue to protect the tech companies and doesn't continue to protect the people who already have a lot of money, but it actually can do something to make it a city that for the, the, those who still live here, who are middle-class and lower income, don't get, get squeezed out even more. Yes. And so, and that's what I'm talking about is about making sure that whatever field you're in, that you were paid a good wage, that you're paid what you need to to survive in this city. This is about being very agile about our government, having quick responses to understand that we are in an economic uh, 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 place where we have to move quickly, very, very quickly to address what we already know is coming. And this means also pivoting to ensure that we're investing in people. This means getting them the roles that they needed, high paying roles, eligibly for programs and training so that they get uh, the kind of training they need to get in these high paying jobs and so that they can have a sustainable wage that can support their families, put food on the table, pay their bills, and and start to have a more fruitful life. You know, it's not just about working, but it's also about making sure that you have a real warm, healthy life. Life. And I think that we can do both. Uh, this is about making sure that the folks or that we're integrating these programs into the programs that are already there and running operational. This is about providing the support uh, and investing there. Um, we've talked about this before, about putting about 72 to $80 million into uh, the, the district across the board. I talk about even uh, for some of our uh, workers that are our IHS workers, our caregiver workers, our representative payees and our care 
case managers. You know, the average caseworker uh, that's serving this community is making about uh, anywhere from $20 an hour to $22 an hour. That's your case manager wage. This is not a livable wage or a sustainable wage for somebody that's actually supposed to be supporting other individuals and getting them uplifted out of poverty. That doesn't make sense to me. You've got to invest to the people that are taking care of these folks. We've also got to make sure that we're not, uh, you know, creating a uh, an environment where the workers that are serving the community and getting them uplifted out of poverty and placing them to housing aren't burnout. And so I want to make sure that the programs and, and, and mental health spaces are available for the workers as well, uh, investing in our senior case managers, investing in our case manager threes, and, and, and also investing in our HS workers who are in support of working and taking care of our most vulnerable inside the homes. Uh, we've got to give them the good wages so that they can do the work that they're doing um, and, and have a more healthier life while they're doing it. I think um, they're worth they're worth more than $20 an hour. And I think we've got to, uh, we've got to see it that way. And um, as they're doing this job, this hard work, uh, they're the ones that are trying to solve the issue. This is our front line and our essential workers. And, and as a, in my background, I just want to let you know, I've been working with uh, adults uh, that have mental health and, and substance abuse uh, and uh, um, those that are seniors and veterans as well. And so that's why I'm very clear about what it is at the front lines and what needs to be done because I've had opportunities where I've been able to house individuals who are vulnerable on the streets, get them into housing and what kind of investments and what kind of tools that we need on the ground in order to be and continue to be successful at what we're doing. It's just about investing in more finances so we can expand the amount of people that we're trying to help. Uh, and that brings up some of the, the ballot measures and things that, that are coming up. Vacant housing tax, of course, is, is something that people have sort of, um, you know, uh, have been talking about uh, for the past several months uh, and, and ways in which we, you know, uh, sort of refine the conversation about making sure that if there's vacancies, why are we not placing individuals who are, you know, vulnerable uh, into these uh, these housing initiatives? I'll tell you why. Because the market rate housing is too high for those folks to, to have it. Um, you know, the benefit of resources that they're relying on uh, to survive is usually Social Security, SSI or SSA. They're getting about $1,000 a month, which means they're living off about $15 a day. Nowhere uh, in <laughs> nowhere in San Francisco are you going to find a micro market rate housing that's going to be equal to that amount because you, you're thinking, and if, if you're thinking about what I'm uh, looking at is the amount that it costs for someone to live in a, in a, a regular housing uh, opportunity. So they have to rely on SROs, which sometimes are not in the best conditions. And so this is, this is not a sustainable living solution. This is just Band-Aid on top of Band-Aid. And so we've really got to get to and address the real issues here, investing in making sure that people have nice, warm homes to go home to, support them and make sure that they can get on their feet by making sure they have the training and workforce programs so that they're eligible for the job so they can start getting into this field. And then for those who are unable uh, to work and get into the workforce, and I understand because there are those that are disabled and those that are vulnerable that have mental health conditions, we've got to invest in conservatorship programs to ensure that they get the resource they need. And some of these individuals are already on conservatorship programs. What's happening is, is the, the resources and benefit programs that they have aren't covering the, the needs. And so they're not getting met. And so that's why investment is important because if you're talking about making sure getting people off the street, like all these different communities and agencies wanna do, you've gotta address the real issues here. And that's what I'm willing to do.
Great. We need to take a quick break. We'll be back in just a minute. If you're tuning in, you're listening to KXSF LP San Francisco. Okay, so we are back. You are listening to Fifth Wave Radio Queerly Drinking. I'm DJ Pamela Louie. And my guest is Sherelle Jackson, who is running for uh, supervisor in District 6. So let, let's talk specifically about your district, District 6. What do you see as being the priorities? Absolutely. So I refined it down, and I think it's important. We invest in education. We invest in ensuring that our underserved and marginalized communities have the resources that they need. And we invest in making sure that our, our, our communities are uplifted and investing in our small businesses, career opportunities, and promoting them, uh, and making sure that we recenter our focus on people again. This is about supporting folks. Doesn't matter where they start. They started. We're going to get them to where they need to be, and that's about investing and recentering our focus and getting the programs that they need to be uplifted in this community and support them, uh, and, and supporting small businesses, right? Supporting our uh, the industries and ensuring that they have the resources that they need, uh, and and I'll continue to do that. Absolutely. So you represent a district where there is. There was before the pandemic, there was a, a thriving business community, but now not as much. A lot of companies you know, are letting their workers work remotely. There are companies that don't exist any longer. So how like do you have any thoughts, let's say, on how to revitalize the downtown and let's say other some other parts of your district? Uh, absolutely. So this, again, uh, comes down to, and I know that there's been a lot of talk around making sure that we invest in small businesses. Number one thing that I want to ensure uh, is that we continue to make it a safe space uh, for folks to continue to come and spend their time in District 6. Uh, there's a lot of business there. There's a lot of art. There's museums. Uh, there's uh, so much that we can do, and it's about supporting those uh, industries and making sure that there are safe spaces so folks can come and enjoy themselves. There's a lot of entertainment in the district. There's a lot of different uh, vibrant shops uh, and shopping in the downtown area, and we've got to continue to uh, make sure that it's a safe place that people want to come back to, making sure we invest in our tourism, making sure that we invest in making sure that the, uh, the industries that are here feel supported, they feel recognized and seen in the city, uh, and not turned away uh, for wanting to uh, build their lives and start their lives in the city. Uh, we can support everybody across the board. Uh, and it's just about making sure that the programs and resource and policy, start, policy starts to represent folks again across the board. And I know that we can do this. Uh, this is about uh, making sure that you have the right person in the seat that's going to do that. And that person is me. And I, and I continue to, to uh, really drill this down uh, because I think that uh, folks that have um, spent their time in the city, they see that where things are going right and they see where things have kind of continued to have this sort of pattern where some people are left behind uh, and not getting the, the opportunity that they, they should get in this uh, city. And so uh, this is about making sure that people across the board get the opportunities that they need, feel uplifted, you know, and making sure that we have a safe community. And one of the, the, the key issues here uh, that continues to be uh, on the, the front of the conversation is making sure that the economy and the city is safe. Uh, and I'm going to continue to make sure that we have investment in our community ambassadors uh, and folks of this nature so that we can continue to create safe spaces so when you talk about make make sure the city's safe and yeah okay and according to some metrics crime has gone up okay in terms of like long term crime is actually way down from where it was three decades ago but it's up from where it was for some crimes not all crimes 
from up where it was a few years ago. But that's not just San Francisco, that's the entire country. So, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the problems that you know, what you're saying about making the city safe, but do you see this where it's, and that's, it's not to say that we should wash our hands of it, but that this is something that's actually a lot bigger than San Francisco. Yeah, so I think I think what you're 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 really getting at is what I was kind of talking about before, right? If we're investing in people and people have uh, good paying jobs in the city, if they have access to good uh, uh, careers, if they have access to you know build a business in the city, and we're supporting them, then I I think the opposite will happen. You'll see more people that are going to be shopping in the downtown area. You're going to see more people shopping in our restaurants. It's restaurant week right now. And we've got to make sure that the people are in the downtown area, making sure that they spend their time here, making sure that they feel like a place that they want to be in. And so the way that we do that is we invest in people. When people feel like they can spend their money in the city, when they feel comfortable, they will. And when you when you create a, an exciting, vibrant atmosphere, they will come and participate in it. And there's so much that the city has to offer. There's so many things that people want to engage in and we have it here. Um, and so it's just about bringing folks back in and, and, and welcome them back to the city with warm arms, but also investing in the people that are already here. Uh, and so that we don't have what continues to be a pattern is that displacement, is that uh, um, hardship and economic face of people who we're fighting to uh, survive in this city. And so we have to be very sensitive about the way that we design policy to represent people so that people feel supported and also are getting the resources they need in order to survive in this city so they can have sustainable lifestyles. So, but even before the pandemic, San Francisco had a growing population of unhoused people. And mm-hmm. you know, that is something which there, there are numerous factors for whether being one of them, but the, you know, the situation is right now where it's it's tragic. Uh, I think you know we all can walk around and kind of remember what things were just a few years ago, and it's it's just a very sad situation. And I think it, it's you, I don't think you could just we can talk about our unhoused population without also talking about you know drug addiction mm-hmm. and talking about income inequality and talking about mental health. Absolutely. So, so I think like what you're saying right now about needing to invest in education, need, needing to invest in like entrepreneurial opportunities for people, need to invest so that people can get back on their feet uh, and, and having making the city so that it's safe so that we can get to have a really thriving uh, tourist economy. But we're still going to have these issues with, you know, with the level of unhoused people here. And I think that if And I don't, I'm not saying I know what the solution is here. I guess what I'm asking you as someone who's running for supervisor in a district that is one of the most heavily tourist, you know, first districts in the city, uh, how, you know, what your thoughts are on on that? I mean, let's just take it, tease it apart a little bit. What, do you have any ideas about what we should be, how we should address the the level of unhoused people we have in, in the city. Because I, I understand that, I understand different sides of this, but I think at the end of the day, it is the tragedy is that we have a city with many billionaires and even more millionaires. And we have people who live on our streets who do not have a place to go to the bathroom, you know, who have, who have like, 
physical and mental health problems. And they're not necessarily like, oh, they're drug addicts, that's how they started. A lot of people become drug addicts because they're on the street. So how do you have any ideas, any thoughts on where the city, what we should be doing? And I'm not asking you for specifics even, but just what what we should do and, and let's say how we should be doing things differently from what we're doing right now. Absolutely. So we've got to we've got to re- reduce the barriers to access to housing. That's number one. Reduce. I'll say it again. Reducing the barriers to access to housing. How do people get housing? Right. How much does it cost? OK. And so we have to reduce those barriers. Is it affordable for someone that's living on the streets? And if we're mindful about the types of policies that we're writing going forward, we'll ensure that we, when we step forward and say, we're gonna help individuals get housed, we're gonna make sure that there's affordable housing in this city, and we're gonna make sure that we look at different avenues. And one of the ways that we do that is reducing those barriers. That's number one. Number two, we need to make sure again that we're investing because once somebody gets housing, it's it's now a place where, they're now in a place where now they can get settled, they can start to focus again on what it is. Okay, now I've got a, a, a stable place to live. How can I get back on my feet? What do I need to do? What is it that I want to do for myself? And that's the kind of, uh, of thinking we have to do to ensure that we get someone that can get off the get off the streets, get back into stable housing so they can start making some sound decisions about what they want to do with their lives, which means that, okay, now that you have sustainable housing, Let's see what we can do to get you in some career training programs. Let's see what we can do to get you eligible for some different roles so that you can get hired uh, in some specific jobs so that you're not just staying in sort of a a viral uh, or uh, rotational uh, uh, hardship. Let's get you stable again. And so that, you know, next down the road, 40 years or 20 years down the road, uh, somebody that was in a hardship doesn't stay there uh, in, in sort of a, a repetitive cycle. We get them housed, we get them the resources they need, so they're uplifted. This is about making sure that that happens, and policy has to start representing that. Uh, the other thing I wanted uh, to ensure, uh, you addressed uh, the bathroom units. Now, I think that this is also uh, an, an ex- a concern because I understand, and it's not just uh, homeless individuals, and I don't want to discriminate against even uh, even that. If you walk outside, you got to use the bathroom right now. You go usually what to a restaurant, or you got to go uh, to a, a business nearby uh, to to find uh, a restroom, and um, and so that is a concern, absolutely. So what we do is we invest in bathroom units, okay throughout the city and we put them throughout the city and we don't have to determine or dictate right now where the where they need to be but we do need to make sure that we have them and so that they're nice clean uh uh places where people can go in and, and use the bathroom i think that that's something we can do and it's feasible and it and it can be it can get done what i don't want to see which i think might happen which they kind of had already had the discrepancy what i did see was uh that the the amount uh for one porta potty uh, that they, uh, uh, so much paperwork behind that. If you have a sustainable bathroom unit that you build uh, that can stay, 
uh, then you don't have to worry about the, the porty potty system. You use a a permanent bathroom unit, and that will uh, do away with having to come back later and, and writing down some more policy and, and spending a lot of uh, money uh, in regards to a porty potty and the conditions of it. Uh, and so, uh, and it also it, it looks better if you have uh, units. Um, uh, for city-wise, especially when you're getting down in the downtown area, you, you're, you're going to want uh, nice bathroom units instead of a, a porta potty, uh, because I, I feel as though uh, individuals, you know, it's just a more uh, clean and uh, efficient way to um, provide a, a bathroom and, and give people dignity. Um, and I'm not saying that a porta potty doesn't give people dignity. I understand festivals and everything else. People use porta potties. But on a, a more permanency, uh, looking at the future and making a more sustainable option would be those more concrete multiple units that you would build. Uh, and I think that that would be a, a better option. Uh, as far as uh, a different uh, uh, social housing uh, and those nature, I think we'll move forward towards that. Uh, but I also think that we just need to invest. There are vacant homes right now. There's some uh, housing right down the street uh, that has uh, just been built. And uh, we could use some of those units uh, and ensure that underserved and marginalized uh, individuals get housed right in that building and uh, and and we can get this done. Uh, and this is also providing uh, a, an ample opportunity to redesign the way that we even help people get housing, which is investing in our software equipment. So that way, uh, and this is something that more so the, the 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 people on the front lines that are actually doing this work to get them into the housing understand what I'm talking about. So let me be a bit, a bit more clear when I say software investment. Uh, I'm talking about a uh, a program where they can log into the system that helps them see around the city what um, vacant uh, apartments and things of this nature are available for them. So that way they can uh, determine uh, that. So, yes. Great. We need to take another real quick break. Uh, for those of you listening, this is Bifway Radio Queerly Drinking. And our guest today is Sherelle Jackson, who is running for supervisor in District 6. We'll be back in just a minute. All right. So you are listening to KXSF LP San Francisco, and this is Pamela Louie. My guest is Sherelle Jackson, who is running for supervisor in District 6. And uh, we did start a few minutes late, so if you can spend a few more minutes with us, that that's, would be, I think, great. I'm sure listeners, especially those who are, live in District 6, would love to hear what you have to say. If not, I understand you are in a very busy campaign season, so, so don't worry about it. Uh, but I did have a, a few more things that I wanted to talk to you about and ask you. But first of all, we were talking about housing. Do you have any uh, positions or thoughts on Propositions D and E? I decided, uh, and I know that we're we're coming pretty close to the you know the election season, uh, and it's November eighth. By the way, get your uh, ballot uh, in the mail uh, and uh, select me uh, <laughs> as we as we uh, go forward. Uh, but uh, please, uh, if you're thinking about what ballot measures that you're uh, considering, um, you know, I know on my uh, behalf, I, I decided to keep a very open mind about uh, about this decision. Uh, but I do believe that um, we really need to make sure that we get housing and we need to make sure that we support housing initiatives um, across the board. Uh, what I don't want to see is that we're focusing on uh, uh, a, a certain uh, income 
of, of folks uh, getting uh, the bulk of the housing options uh, and then our lower income uh, don't have uh, the amount of housing that they need to have. And uh, especially those that are on fixed income, as I, I talked about before, uh, folks that only have a certain amount to work with uh, will not be able to afford uh, specific housing. And so we want to make sure that they have access to that housing, uh, that they are the, the barriers are removed, and that we continue to make sure that this is a process where people can get in there. Uh, and then sometimes they're bogged down by different paperwork and, and, and things of this nature, which also hinders them to have that access and, and the, the on the landlord side, uh, when they're looking at the different paperwork, they'll move on to the next uh, applicant. Uh, and uh, that individual loses out because they're waiting on paperwork to be processed. And so that slowing down a process uh, can really hinder somebody uh, in uh, getting access to housing. And so we don't wanna see that happen either. Uh, and so I think reducing those uh, barriers uh, will be number one and uh, making sure that we we provide them with that housing is, is, is imperative. So do you feel that uh, one of the, the ballot measures, D or E, addresses that and provide like addresses the barriers to access to, uh, to affordable housing more than the other one? You know, I know that there's um, some, I guess, differences between the two. Uh, of course, and and I and I want to uh, feel that uh, uh, folks should keep an open mind and look at what is really going to address getting individuals off the street. One of them is probably going to do that more than the other, uh, and we have to be open minded. Uh, but at the same time, um, you know, look at things and say we can get this done. We can get this addressed if we just support uh, housing initiatives and, and, and get them, you know, on the ballot. Uh, and I think that there's some things that we can do in order to move forward and change the uh, way that we do those things. And 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 sometimes it means um, going back to the drawing board uh, and really looking at what we're doing and saying, okay, is this really going to help the individuals? It's intended to help because if we're being intentional about ensuring that people are gonna get off the street. We have to start writing policy that actually represents them. You have to start making sure that people who are underserved and marginalized are seen and represented in the policy that we're writing. And so that's what I wanna see happen. And I know that we can get this done and I continue to ensure. And then also I wanna make sure that there's also uh, ample access to educator housing uh, as well. As we know, um, a lot of uh, folks uh, uh, that, uh, you know, teach in this city can't afford and they end up often in, in roommate situations and, and so on and so forth. So I want to make sure that there's options in that regard as well. Great. Uh, for those of you tuning in, you're listening to KXSF LP San Francisco. This is Pithway Radio Queerly Drinking. I'm Pamela Louie and my guest is Sherelle Jackson, who is running for supervisor in District 6. So uh, let's talk with you. We have a few minutes uh, to you know, a few more minutes where we, we can chat. So uh, one thing that I wanted to ask you about is if you have a position on safe injection sites. Safe injection sites. Um, so uh, my stance on this uh, is about, you know, making sure that we invest in harm reduction models. Um, as far as uh, the way in which we're conducting and serving our um, underserved and marginalized and those who are uh, dealing with substance abuse and mental health um, right now, this is already something that we're already doing. Um, and it helps 
with reducing the amount of impact and self-harm to an individual, which also uh, in return helps us get them to a point where they are rehabilitated uh, and being able to get them the resources and programs they need, investing in behavioral health programs um, here in the city that help with this and uh, and supporting our, our clinical case managers and, and, and social workers as well that are doing this work, um, trying to get them uh, in a state of, of, of back to healthy. And so uh, that is my opinion and stance on this. Okay, so let me ask you this. What are your two, you know, your two opponents in the race uh, are both people, one, one is serving as basically the incumbent, uh, having been there for not very long, but for part of this year, uh, and then you've also had, you know, that's uh, Matt Dorsey and then also Honey Mahogany, who is you know, chair of the uh, San Francisco Democratic Party and is very, you know, very plugged into the uh, San Francisco political world. Uh, how would you say as someone who doesn't, you know, who, who's not coming with as much of that political uh and you could say background, you could also say baggage, you could say whatever it is, but how would you say that it's an advantage to you perhaps coming at the come coming to this race as someone who has never, let's say, run for office before? Well, let me just say this. Um, I'm I'm just as involved. I think that we're we're involved in different ways. Uh, again, yeah. I'm working uh, as a member of SAU 10 to 1, Committee on Political Education, the co-chair of Workers with Disabilities, the vice chair of Veterans Caucus for the California Democratic Party. I'm also your California Assembly District 17 ADEM, which means statewide, uh, working to make sure, and also your director of communications for Justice, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion, and your Madam President of Black Voices and Allies Leadership. So I wouldn't say that I am not as plugged in. I would say that I am someone that has and will continue to stand for those uh, uh, folks and represent in a labor-friendly way, a way that we uh, ensure that our seniors and our veterans are taken care of, making sure that our underserved and marginalized are taken care of across the board. It's about making sure our BIPOC and our LGBTQ communities are. And that's why I joined the Lavender LGBTQ community. And that's why I joined the Women's Committee, because I think that these are organizations that represent the kind of ideals uh, and the kind of vision uh, to serve different communities and coalitions of folks. Uh, and this is about making sure that we design policy to represent them. Now, we are in uh, the middle of a, a time where there is a lot going on in our economy. There's a lot going on uh, in the news and there's a lot going on in our family and our day-to-day -day lives. And so you want somebody again in this seat that understands that wholeheartedly uh, and is going to do right by you, truthfully do right by you. Uh, and, and really ready, ready to you know roll up her sleeves and, and, and do the hard work uh, and making the right decisions on your behalf that person is me. I'm going to drill that day in and day out uh, and, and, and get folks supported the way that they need to be supported. Uh, you got to have a strong voice in there that can really sit down and start saying what needs to be said in those rooms. So how would you differ differentiate yourself uh, from your competitors in, in this race? Like what, what I know, like in addition to your, your experiences, which are very unique and, and definitely could be very useful to the position that you're you're running for, no doubt about that. 
but how would you, and I'm not, I'm not asking you to necessarily speak poorly about your opponents here, either, but, but just how would you differentiate yourself from them? I would say I'm a very ambitious black woman ready to stand up for the people of San Francisco, the people of district six. And that is why you need someone like me in that seat, because you're going to want to see somebody that is going to do the right thing by you. And that person is me. Okay. Well, uh, just one final question. And then I, then I will let you go off and campaign some more. Uh, but <laughs> you know, San Francisco, I think what's kind of interesting is people sort of you know, have, there's been this idea of San Francisco as being like very liberal, et cetera. And, and we know from living here that San Francisco things have changed here. It's, you know, the, you know, whatever the history of the mythology of what San Francisco is, you know, there's, it hasn't always really lived up to what, it, what it's been this mythology anyway. But we, I think something that we can say is that in some ways we really are trendsetters for the rest of the country. And for instance, when Gavin Newsom was mayor in 2004, he started issuing same-sex marriage licenses to same-sex couples, and then there were and marriages were performed, and he got a lot of flack from that at the time. But had he not done that, I'm not sure we'd be where we are at this point. Okay, it takes someone who has guts. Uh, it in other ways, San Francisco has at times been, you know, really been a, a leader for the country. And when we're looking right now at an election, and I find it personally very depressing to watch the news, but basically it's there's a very, in terms of thinking about San Francisco values of tolerance and progressivism and, and taking care of other human beings, it's kind of a bleak outlook, what, what's being painted right now. Mm. Do you think that San Francisco, especially if the country really takes a, a rightward turn in the election, do you think that it's important for San Francisco to, to really like take up this mantle again, to become the leader of progressivism? So uh, do you think, uh, I want to make sure that I'm clear on the question. Do you think that uh, San Francisco should be the leader in progressivism? Well, do you think that San Francisco, like, do you think it still has a role to play? Do you think that there's still enough here where, where we can you know, be that leader, uh, where we take, where we can take risky stance and where we are, you know, our values, the values uh, that uh, rightly or wrongly, or, or whether or not this, this is still true, of progressivism in the sense that there is a value that is placed on on human beings that there is a value placed on tolerance there i mean just the and granted we're having these issues in the in san francisco too it's not like this is just happening in other places but i do think you you hear a lot of conversations in san francisco about wanting people wanting san francisco to be a place where we are not afraid to take risk where we will stand up where we you know for racism where we will stand against homo and transphobia. And we also are, we're a place where we also, there's something to be said for putting people over profits. Mm. And that's not to say that we have to become a, a socialist and like everything has to be socialized, but where we can have, it's not just about making money. It's not just to be about big corporations. And I think arguably we could say that with, things that have happened in the city over the last 15 years or so. And we were, we were heading in the, that direction where people were just not as important. And we see the results of that. Do you think San Francisco can, and even if the, if there is a right word turn, San Francisco should really take a good like look in the mirror 
and look at the at, at, at our soul and think about what you know what we want to be because this city even though it's not one of the biggest cities in the in the country it's definitely one of the most influential mm-hmm. we we have outsized power you know considering our population so what what do you think san francisco's role should be you know versus the rest of the country san francisco right now is at the forefront of making some of the most influential decisions as it stands. We have some of the most strongest leaders that have come out of this city because we have decided collectively to choose and uplift individuals who will truly represent this city, who will lead this country, who will lead us nationwide, and we will continue to stand on that precipice on that principle and ensure that our communities are uplifted, that this nation is uplifted. This is about making sure that somebody is standing in position to hold down democracy. If we do not lead, who will? And if we don't step forward, who will? Some of us are called to lead a nation, to lead the state, and to lead the city. We have to make the right decision, and we can do this together. Well, and I think that is why when we think about the positions for supervisor and other and even like school board and all the local positions it's really important that we and we think about not just the city but we think about the country but we have to really start looking at things on the grassroots level and so i really thank you for being here uh is there before we we uh before we let you go campaign is there anything else that you'd like to say to our listeners absolutely san francisco we have work to do This is about ensuring that you have someone in that seat ready and willing to do the work. I will continue to uplift the underserved and marginalized communities, amplify for our voices to ensure we restore the respect and dignity of District 6 and ensure that somebody is there to represent you in the right way. Great. Well, thank you so much for being here. Uh, For those of you who've tuned in the last few minutes, this is KXSFLP and the show is Fifth Wave Radio, Queerly Drinking. And our guest today has been Sherelle Jackson, who is a candidate for District 6 Supervisor. Thank you so much for being with us today. Appreciate it. Good luck to you with the rest of the campaign. Thank you. I look Uh, forward to seeing you guys on the campaign trail. And Great. Thank you.